Welcome to On Mission, the teaching ministry of the Mission Church in Urbandale, Iowa. We exist to love God by loving others, leading them to become fully functioning followers of Jesus Christ. Let's join Pastor Brett preaching from the Gospel of Luke. So here's the context to kind of get us into that, and then we're going to jump into our, our lesson time for today. So previously in Luke chapter 11, Jesus has performed a miracle by casting out a demon and healing a man who was mute. Now, this was pretty amazing, and a lot of people were kind of inspired by that. But at the same time, some people actually accused Jesus of working with Satan. And so it's a really interesting dynamic there. But Jesus, very quickly, and in his only way that he can, he actually kind of settles that argument, very soundly defeats that with logic, saying, look, if I'm working for Satan, how would I and why would I be defeating myself by working with him? So all of this is happening. And as it's happening, more and more people are kind of being drawn in to see what's going on with Jesus. They're curious about him. They're curious about the miracles. They're curious about his power, and they're kind of still not sure who he really is. And so that kind of brings us to our text today, to Luke chapter 11. And today we're going to be looking at verses 29 through 32. So grab your Bible, and let's read this together. Luke eleven twenty-nine through 32 says this. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Okay, so that is our text for this morning. Now we're going to be, we've talked about the context a little bit already. So I want to let you know now kind of where we're going. Here's the roadmap for this morning's sermon. We're going to look first at Jesus' critique of why he calls them evil. We're also going to then look at two condemning examples that he gives in the text. And then at the end, we're going to wrap it all up and talk about application. What does this sermon have to do with your life and mine today in 2020? So um, let's start right off the bat with the critique. We see in verse 29, Jesus says that this generation is an evil generation. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to hear those words. Uh, that's a pretty harsh statement. It's a very bold statement. And uh, we, want, we probably should be asking ourselves, why did Jesus say that? That's a really hard thing to say. But we see that he said that because primarily they have been ignoring Jesus, not only physically, but they've been ignoring him spiritually. And they've been demanding all of these supernatural signs, even though they've been seeing signs. They've already seen miracles. They've already witnessed his ministry and his power, yet they're continually demanding more and more and more. Almost like they're saying, Jesus, we just want the show. Keep going. Give us more. And so Jesus' response to that is to say, you guys are an evil generation, and the only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. Now, that's probably a weird phrase for us today in 2020. What does that mean? What's the sign of Jonah? So in order to understand what that means, we have to do a little bit of back work. We have to dig into the Old Testament just a little bit today. Um, And we're going to get to that in just one second. I'm going to talk a little bit about the book of Jonah. But before we do, 
I want to share a passage from Matthew 12, and this is actually a parallel account of the same story in a different gospel, Matthew's gospel. And so I want to read this for you, and Matthew's gospel elaborates a little bit more for us so we can kind of begin to understand what Jesus meant when he said the sign of Jonah is the only sign they're going to get. So let's read this together. It'll be up on the screen. Matthew 12, 39 through 41 says this, Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That's kind of the key there. Verse 41. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Now, now that we've kind of got a little bit broader perspective of what Jesus meant by the sign of Jonah, I want to take you back to the Old Testament real briefly, and I want to give you a very quick overview of that story. So in the Old Testament, there was a book called Jonah. And in that book, it's about a prophet of God, and his name is Jonah. And Jonah was commanded by God to leave where he was at, to go to Nineveh, and to tell that city to turn from their wickedness and to repent before God, or God was going to come and destroy their city. Now, Jonah actually disobeys God. He runs away. He gets on a boat going the opposite direction. And actually, as he was going the opposite direction, a huge storm arose on the sea. Jonah was ended, ended up getting thrown into the ocean. God commands a great big fish to come up and swallow Jonah alive. Jonah then sits in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, just like that Matthew passage just talked about. And then God commanded that fish to vomit Jonah up on dry land. And then as he's up there wondering, wow, what is going on? God gives him a command the second time. He says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to preach that they need to repent from their wickedness or I'm going to burn and I'm going to destroy their city. This time, Jonah actually obeys. He goes to Nineveh. He preaches what is probably arguably one of the worst sermons in history. You can read about it in Jonah. It's only one verse long, but it's a pretty bad sermon. But because it's not about Jonah, it's about God's sovereignty, the whole city repents as they heard Jonah's message, and they believed him, and they turned from their wickedness. They repented, and God spared the city. It's an incredible story of a, of a very simple, humble servant who messed it up, who did what God asked him to do. God's sovereignty reigned supreme. He saved a city because they turned and repented. They displayed right action and right response. And so, as we see in that key verse in Matthew's account, it kind of gives us a, the clue that the sign of Jonah is parallel to the resurrection, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, Jesus was foreshadowing that he was going to be buried in the grave for three days and three nights and then rise again. And so, we are, he's talking about all this because he knows that as they're asking for all of these signs and they want to see more wonders, he knows that there's this hardness of heart in the Pharisees and in the crowd and that they're not really interested in him. They just want to see more fun things. And so his resurrection, the sign of Jonah, if you will, it would actually be the last and final opportunity for them to actually believe that Jesus was who he said he was. So, this brings us to our first timeless principle for us today that we can begin to start saying, what does this passage mean? First timeless principle is this, is that even with all the evidence in the world 
unless God opens the spiritual eyes of a person, they will remain in their spiritually blinded state and they will remain in their spiritually blinded unbelief. Now, that is something that we can't really fully comprehend. But unless God opens our eyes, we can't even understand the truth. We can't even know that the truth is the truth. We can't even have, we don't even have the ability to have our own faith to trust in that truth unless God initiates that action upon us first. We see this most clearly articulated in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 when Paul is writing this letter to a church in Corinth. Listen to this. Paul says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, and that's a reference to Satan, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as servants at Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And so imagine this, okay? The Pharisees, the crowd, they were eyewitnesses of Jesus's miracles. They saw it firsthand. They were 10, maybe 20 feet away from the most incredible stories that you and I will ever hear. They got to see it in real time with their very own eyes, yet they did not believe Their hearts were hard. There was no ability for them to believe because God had not opened their eyes. And this is why they were evil. This is why Jesus is critiquing them and calling them an evil generation. It's because right in front of them stood this opportunity, yet they didn't believe. And so, in light of that, to demand more and more signs is just evil. And so, the late theologian and commentator R.C. Sproul once said that, that God is not standing by to perform at our beck and call. Therefore, it's evil for us to demand that he prove himself to us. See, that kind of a posture is really a posture of unbelief. If we're waiting for God and we're saying, God, prove yourself to us. Show me yourself. Do this. Do that. Uh, That's a a posture of unbelief. We have no right as creatures of God to demand anything from the creator. Yet, sadly, this is a posture that a lot of Christians take in a lot of different areas of their life whether it be unbelief about suffering or unbelief about who God is or unbelief about his love and his concern for his people or unbelief that he even speaks to us in a certain way. And on this one, I want to speak very specifically that this one concerns me in our world today because I hear a lot of Christians saying a lot of things that sound like this, that I'm just praying and I'm waiting to hear this word from the Lord. I just got a word from the Lord the other day and I've been praying by myself and I'm waiting for him to speak something very specifically just to me. And while I understand the Holy Spirit speaks to us, he, he prompts us, and he, he helps us and guides us, I want us to be careful about this very new age, almost mystical way of trying to almost coerce God to talk to us in a way that he really doesn't always promise to talk. And so here's the reality, though, is that while it might sound very spiritual to say, I just sit in my house and I wait, wait for God to just tell me things, I, I want to encourage you that, that God has already spoken to you very, very clearly. And that's why we have the Word of God. The Word of God is God's complete revelation to us. And so I want to show you a picture that will be up on the screen in just a second. And I want to show you what this looks like very practically. And so as you look at this slide right now, I want you to look at the picture. 
Look at this man on his knees, looking up to the heavens, saying, Lord, please talk to me. And then look at, look at the response from God. God hands him a Bible through the clouds as if to say, I've already spoken to you. I've already given you everything that you need. Yet, for some reason, you're looking to the clouds or you're looking to prayer or you're looking to some other way to get some kind of answer that you already probably have in my word, but you aren't reading it. And so while this is nuanced, I don't want, to, I don't want you to hear today that I don't want you to pray. Obviously, we need to pray. But God's word is very specific and very full on a lot of things. And so a lot of people, they go through life wondering, why doesn't God speak to me? Well, he has. And my question to you would be, how often are you spending time in his word? Because if you're talking to him a lot and asking him for questions, but you don't really spend a lot of time in his revelation that he's already given to you, why would you expect him to speak in that way when he's already spoken in this way? So I just want to encourage you with that today. And so this leads us then to another timeless principle. That, that it's evil, actually, to demand, and that's the key word here, to demand something from God. It's evil to demand a sign from God when he has already revealed himself through his scripture, through the written word. Now, we believe here at the Mission Church that, that we believe in the inerrancy of the Bible. That means the Bible is perfect and flawless in its original manuscripts. It doesn't have error. We can trust it. We also believe in the sufficiency of the Bible. And that means that we believe that the Bible is sufficient for everything we actually need in this life here on earth. This is On Mission. The Mission Church is located at 12001 Ridgemont Drive in Urbandale. To learn more about our ministry, visit our website at themissiondsm.org or call us at 515-255-2122. We gather for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. We would be honored for you to join us. Have a blessed day, and thank you for listening to On Mission.